Hello everyone and welcome to the fifth episode of The Roadless Jacob. In this episode, I wanted to justify the title of the podcast. So, to showcase that, I have three different entrepreneurs from three different generations on three different milestones of the same road. In today's episode, we have Tarun, who is the founder and CEO of The Explorers Lab, a skill enrichment platform for high school and middle school students. We have Advait, a 14-year-old entrepreneur running his own mentorship platform. And of course, you have me, Sahil, the co-founder and CEO of Humans of Entrepreneurship and Connected Agency. Well, I would like to jump right in and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey guys, I'm Sahil. Welcome to the fifth episode of The Road Less Taken. Today, I have two really special guests with me. Uh, I have got Tadun, who's an entrepreneur in the UAE running in the edtech space. And I have also got... Advait, who is a high school student and is trying to become an entrepreneur, is on the journey to, mm-hmm. to do something of his own. So, welcome, guys. He's already Hi, Advait is already an entrepreneur. Oh, okay. He's already there. <laughs> I yeah, mean, trying I, to get there. I mean, uh, my, my always question is how much money are you making, right? <laughs> that's, that's where it goes at the end of the day. This may not be far apart for both him and I. <laughs> no. Okay, just no, just to kick a... just to kick off real quick. So, Tadun, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, very, very like, what's your background like? Where do you come from? Really briefly, and what is your company about? What's it called? Also. Okay. Uh, very quick background. I was born and raised in India. Uh, I grew up in a family. My dad was in Indian Armed Forces, so I moved around quite a bit in my first. 15 or 18 years. Uh, in fact, I did my early years of job. Uh, I joined, I did my education schooling across the country. Having said, I did my graduation from Bitspilani. Subsequently, did my master's MBA from IIT Delhi. And then I joined G Capital, which is where I worked for 15 years of my career. And I traveled quite significantly across the country in the first few years, both prior to my job as well as my on my job. Having said that, uh, gradually I've moved out and I spent quite some time in Asia. I worked in Japan and in Brazil in a variety of different roles before I moved to Middle East. So I moved to Middle East in 2007, um, took a job with KPMG, and then I worked with a sovereign wealth fund based out of Dubai. And then I joined back a joint venture between G Capital and Mubadla in 2009. So I worked with them for six years to 2015 which is when my entrepreneurial journey started. So I quit in 2015 and started uh, a venture which I co-founded called Explorers. And we've been in business of curating and uh, delivering programs which will complement the development of students from an academic perspective. And we continue to run that. Having said that early last year and just coincidentally happened, it's kick-started with the advent of pandemic. We We got into a tech space by launching the Explorers Lab. So that's a quick summary. I'm sure we can delve more in detail as we progress. Yeah, sure. Um, listening to all of that, like me and Advait were just like, okay. <laughs> okay that's, that's, that's a long, that's a long life he's gone through. And we're just like. Yes. And I've not got into the details, but it's been an extremely eventful journey. And I'm going to share some of that as we progress. Alvid, do you want to take a quick uh, 
10 seconds to please talk about yourself and that <laughs> because because i don't think there's a lot to say after uh, this stuff yeah i have nothing as compared to tarun sir i am in ninth grade uh i just want to i mean i've always been intrigued by entrepreneurship so i'm trying my best to start whatever i can and um, but other than that no i'm also looking at like football as we talked about before the podcast started uh football's a career choice of mine like i i would be really interested to make a living out of football essentially it's going to be hard but um that's the dream and you know we work towards it yeah in fact i must add uh, the reason advaid and i hooked up is because of his passion on entrepreneurship and in fact he's being modest and he started his entrepreneurial journey already by starting a pretty exciting mentorship platform which i'm learning a bit from and we are trying to see how we can co-curate something and uh, advaid let me let's take football offline also there'll be some interesting stuff i can share with you <laughs> okay so i think tarun what you told me one thing which really stood out as <clears throat> as a kid you had to move around a lot even uh, even when you started your journey you were like moving around all around the world so do you think being resilient to change really helped you in your journey uh, which you are in right now do you think it it affects you in a very positive way it helps you like tackle all these issues a simple answer absolutely in fact while you're undertaking this journey you don't necessarily realize it and it's a bit of a pain because i was changing schools every two years making new friends and then again i'll get uprooted so that happened at dar my schooling and my job also i used to travel a lot and i was like this is quite nerving uh staying in places like japan which is vastly different to how you would stay in india and countries like brazil can be quite unnerving having said that now that i look back i think immense amount of resilience adaptability and confidence was built in because i a had an opportunity or i was probably forced upon to undertaking some of these uh, journeys and when i think about the younger generations now i think some of this is clearly which can be done more uh i don't see students or children of around in dubai maybe moving around so much and there's resistance to do that but i think it creates or adds significant layer of competencies uh, which you would cherish subsequently in your life do you think uh people like advait and i who who aspire to become successful entrepreneurs in future or even do uh, let's say work a job or whatever it is uh do you think we should also figure out ways to become more resilient like like travel could be one of the things but obviously travel becomes very short term and becomes like something which you just do it for fun but is there something you can do just to build up on that on that resilience factor or do you just let it go how it is i think both ways work a you would be put into some circumstances and how do you engage and deal with them as one aspect or b you could put some structure to it as to how you're going to challenge yourself in some extreme circumstances so you could potentially get into an expedition or take a gap year and travel around and go into some very uh, places which are you not probably visited before which are to some extent uncomfortable from your standpoint but i think that will bring build a lot of character not only resilience but you'll start engaging with fairly diverse population and start having a broader perspective world view on variety of different things so absolutely it would definitely help i would say if you just take an extreme expedition which would be say climbing to the say base camp of mount everest that in itself will bring 
huge amount of resilience and i think this is quite probably by everyone entrepreneur mm-hmm. i think it's it's very interesting that you bring up this and like the reason i i i understood the uh, meaning of resilience and started actually embracing it recently is because i have been i have not been able to achieve any of my uh, goals which i had like short term goals which i had which was when i was back graduating the short term goal was get a job uh now uh, now even now i think the short term goal is to like you know get a proper job and i still haven't been able to achieve any of those uh, and i've been like pushed around to do different different things uh the short term goal was to get into finance and then i was doing digital after the point of time so i think it's just like i started embracing the journey and then figuring it out how like this is see how it goes like rather than thinking of what what i'm going to do in next 20 years 10 years whatever it is let's just like let's just take it easy and we'll figure it out like it's okay uh tarun sir if it's all right um i just want to ask you on your opinion on something so uh i saw a quote uh yeah like yesterday or last week and it said and this is just from an entrepreneurship uh, entrepreneurship standpoint um start uh, so by the time you're 20 or by the time you're 30 start bunch of businesses and hope to see most of them fail and the one that succeeds you well kind of carry on with is that also like a way of well kind of improving your resilience or just kind of getting into that entrepreneurship mindset so i just repeat that you said start uh, multiple businesses or explore multiple options and see which yeah. one succeed yeah so hope to see most of them fail and the one that you see one that succeeds or the one that actually well good as such you carry on with that i would say that's an expensive way to go about the process i don't disagree with the aspect that there is no great idea you are essentially going to work through multiple bad ideas eventually to refine something which is going to work but i would rather recommend to make that iterative journey within a specific domain you identified as opposed to working on multiple different facets for two reasons a and i believe in that strongly and i think you both would agree on this ideation is easy execution is everything so i would attach 1% weightage to ideation and 99% to execution if you're going to spread your eggs across basket the chances or you're reducing the chances of success immensely b to be successful you should not have a plan b as an entrepreneur because if you're going to have plan b essentially you're almost not necessarily potentially going to give the best in what you're doing not to say the plan a will obviously work the plan a may not work but you move on find another plan a but just because you have a plan b the chances of success of plan a get tremendously reduced i would also say this works in a corporate environment very well i'll take up this job if it doesn't work i could do something like this historically it's worked well i think going forward it may not work very well but a lot of people would do that i think as an entrepreneur it may be very very hard to do that your odds of success are so less so you have to give find a way to give not only 200% but your entire team has to give 200% to make it work and uh, you have to ensure that you don't necessarily get the odds worse than what they already are at the beginning I think that's quite fascinating. Like and like, I think that raises uh, two more questions. Which uh, one of them is actually uh, even relevant to Advait is that 
uh, how did you personally figure out a pocket for travel? Because you really weren't in that space. You were in the space of corporate corporate finance. Uh, Ian Fadwet, he's in he's in school, right? Like when I was in school, I didn't know what mentorship was, but now I realize the importance of it, and I realize that we all, in some way or the other, have mentors. All of us. So, uh, so like one by one, like Tarun, you go first. Like, how did you ex- how did you find the way of travel and educational travel, like? In specific, and Advait next, like why why mentorship? It's interesting that you say that I went into travel, and I think that's how all my customers also say that. Having said that, in my mind, I did not venture out into travel, and I think I fight that perception battle quite heavily. The intent was to get into experiential learning and provide that complementary development to student. which is not necessarily happening from an academic st- standpoint in the current ecosystem of home and school what lent to providing that experiential learning travel was a big element to it and uh, we get perceived in that and i think covid has to some large extent addressed that issue for me the intention was always to how do we find a way to enrich the development of the student we just felt that if we were to curate programs which will get them A out of their comfort zones. B get them an additional dimension on certain areas. Will broaden their horizons and potentially make them more curious and progress in certain areas. Travel just happened to be a big element of it. Having said that, when COVID is happening, we're still delivering so same similar programs without travel. So the intent was never to focus specifically on travel. The intent was how we're going to impact the learning and the development of the student. in this rapidly changing environment and the reason i got into this was what i experienced at my workplace when i thought about my background and i did fairly well from an education standpoint getting to a top college both from engineering and then an mba and i did quite well in terms of climbing the ladder from a corporate standpoint having said that i could realize that i'm plateauing very quickly largely because i was not necessarily Uh, trained how I could potentially take leadership jobs very early. The leadership jobs don't necessarily entail that you are a great engineer or you can design a great product or you are a good risk manager and you can understand well. But they're more about empathy. They're more about compassion. They're more about more about engaging with very diverse stakeholders. And how do you do that? Now, a peer person who would have may done his education in a vastly different environment, done say a gap year for a year. engage with a very vast audience at different levels of education and work in a more diverse environment by design is potentially better prepared to take up that role now if we are expecting the young generation to take big jobs very early but how are we preparing them to take leadership roles or if someone is expected to become an entrepreneur tomorrow and lead a team then you essentially need to find a way how we'll ensure that individual is prepared to take up a leadership mantle but if you look back is our education system actually helping in preparing students to become a leader now a good example will be uh, how is adwaid is a great entrepreneur he has a fantastic idea i think he can create a fantastic product but can we translate him to actually go through the entire journey of tomorrow creating a billion dollar enterprise but that requires multiple other aspects besides a strong idea and inception I hope I uh, 
I got the answer to your original question. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Uh, <clears throat> so before I jump into more questions, Adwait, do you wanna that you wanna tell uh, a similar path? How did uh, mentorship happen? And uh, uh, how did entrepreneurship happen actually? And then tell me how did mentorship happen? Because uh, being in ninth grade, I cannot imagine <laughs> me being somebody. I'll run a company. I I don't think uh, I ever said those words also, but it's quite mm, it's quite uh, as, it's quite nice to see people in your mm, age doing it. Yeah, uh, entrepreneurship. Sorry, I think I mentioned this to Tarun. So the very first time I met Tarun sir on a call when he offered me this internship, I I I think I I remember saying when I was um like very young, whenever I'd see either like a car, like a very fancy car, I'd always get intrigued, and I promised my dad I'd go when I'm twenty five. I I promise I'll buy that. Like it would be a, it would be a funny promise, but then he'd be like, "Okay, I want I want to see this happen." So I've I've just always been intrigued by I wouldn't say money as such, but just being successful. That's always because what's I mean, it's the best thing, right? Being successful is everyone's dream, and that's something I achieved to do as well. Uh, but yeah, so I got invested into entrepreneurship after my dad told me millions of stories of his uh, college mates and how uh, one of his college mates actually one of the richest men in Bangalore as well. I mean, one of the most successful as well. And um, yeah, I just I, I was very intrigued by it. I used to watch numerous documentaries on you know rags and riches stories um, and how people have kind of diversified their original career path to while starting a business. And uh, yeah, that intrigued me. But then mentorship came. So uh, as you rightly said, Sahil, men, a mentor is anyone around us. Anyone around us that imparts knowledge is a mentor. That's basically the definition of mentorship. And I think the main reason I started the mentorship platform was. Because a lot of people, a lot of students in our school or in my school, aren't really informed or don't really know what they want to do in the well upcoming years, right? And it's important because I mean, our school years is not even one fourth of our life. We still have a good sixty to fifty years to live, and over that course of fifty to forty years, you have to well get a job, provide for your family, and well have fun simultaneously. So the mentorship platform was just it was just like an avenue that I wanted to start for. Anyone who can impart knowledge in any any way, it could be even like playing an instrument, like playing guitar, anything like that. So come on, and you can just teach someone younger or older than you, um, and just impart knowledge in that way, and just kind of build a stronger relationship between the students and the teachers in our school. So yeah. So this is something which happens only inside your school, right? Like not anyone yeah. can join the platform. Okay. Yeah. So that's how it started now, but we do aim on, uh, well, expanding. Fair, 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 fair. And this is something which you do do it as a uh, as a side project, free project, and you don't really make money out of it. Or do you aim to make money out of it in future? Because uh, I know platforms making money from the same model. Yeah. So the website that we've designed, it's uh, we we can make revenue uh, out of three ways. We have monetary aspects where anyone can display an ad. We have donations as well. uh but i i don't think we're going to be making any money because uh, obviously since this is a school project we or any money our school on through any initiatives i think our main goal is to donate it to charity so that's our main goal uh but when it comes to money our school has given us a proper funding like they funded us with 850 dirhams i it's a, it's like a small uh bit of money but uh it helped us with developing the website but yeah when it comes to money don't really think that's our main goal right now Fair, fair, fair. Uh, I think I would, um, I would actually jump more towards your business side of things. And what really stood out is how during COVID, you you switched your your medium, right? So you told me that obviously your main goal was how to enrich students' skills for the for the new world that is coming up. Uh, 
travel was a path now travel is not a path so but that still changes a lot of things that changes logistics that changes uh that changes your team right you can have you you literally may have a new team altogether so how do you manage that transition um and uh, i know that's like the low moment for entrepreneurs because and you cannot blame it on anybody and a lot of businesses got shut in covid but whereas you pivoted very very nicely and successfully and now you're trying to like build a whole new base around it so do you want to maybe deep down to that journey i'm leaving it very open for you so yeah yes on the face of it now that i reflect back it is actually quite a big shift we've made over the last 12 months which was not necessarily designed or comprehended in that manner and i can say it was quite painful to say the least having said that uh, i see a big silver lining coming through covid we the intention of the of our our main purpose of existence was how we going to offer enrichment to students which will complement their academic development being done in school we would offer these fantastic programs one of our flagship programs was students getting to silicon valley uh, and doing a technology boot camp now the thought was fantastic program i would i'm sure all the students would love to do it but it would cost almost close to 5000 dollars for student to undertake it not necessarily a small amount of money for every parent every family to afford it and i fundamentally accepted and realized that i cannot necessarily take this very deep in the society because clearly cost is a big limiting factor now we may have we could have potentially tried doing a virtual environment but i know how successful we would have been in terms of students and parents embracing it but once covid hit uh the first thing we did in april was we knew that in summer there's going to be going to be any travel potentially there may not be any travel till december at that time we never thought that come january we'll still be hitting the peak of covid and the travel looks significantly far further than closer even today so as an entrepreneur you're like okay fine how am i going to repivot the organization or what do i do differently so that i can make the ends meet or potentially use this as a opportunity to uh move uh, potentially in another direction i think the good thing what worked for well for us is we had a very strong engaged consumer base we were engaging very actively with schools schools where school where abed goes and quite a few other schools similarly so we knew that we if we have a good product proposition our customers which is a school a parent a student would embrace it what we did is uh, i went to our partners in silicon valley can we create and some offer something to students virtually he said sure we can create something but i don't know if people are going to pay for it i said no you're right we can potentially create something but if people are going to pay for it i don't know and my team said tarun if you're going to expect people pay for they are dreaming i said fair point so he said okay fine let's work on a proposition on a product which is fantastic and let me write to the principals of all our schools who are are who been our uh, fantastic customers luminaries over the years and let me ask them to recommend their top student in their school to join this program on a completely sponsored basis so we did get most of the schools come back with a recommendation for a child who do it we offered this to 20 students and guess what we got fantastic feedback and the brilliant part of the virtual program was we could get in guest speakers or variety of different 
uh, forms of engagement which we could have never done in person because those resources may never be available in person in UAE or in destination ever. But now we could get resources based in Boston, Singapore, London, and we could all join a call. We had a couple of students joining from uh, France, from Paris for this program, which would have never been possible because you would not fly in the next student to undertake and participate in a session, uh, a session with students. So clearly the big learning was, okay, fine. There's clearly merit in doing it. Now, can we find a good market fit of the product, which will work from a pricing standpoint and which is the journey we're currently sitting on? So we're saying, okay, fine. Let's see how well we can price this. This is potentially one-tenth the cost. We are trying to market this now around $500 and then tend us to see whether consumers really potentially embrace this. I still hear from our customers that these programs are expensive, but I still think, I think the way to think through is not think that what you could do potentially at a, a minimal cost or alternately, the way to think through is potentially for a similar experience, you were getting your child to a undertaker travel, which had significant cost, but also had variety of safety and risk issues. Now he can do a fairly strong immersion sitting from a fairly comfortable place he is in and get at least a curricular delivery on, on it. If he really enjoys that experience, nothing is stopping him to go to Silicon Valley the following year. So the important aspect is to start, get an immersion, get an immersion early, maybe get at the age of 12. And if the child really shows strong interest in that area, get him to travel at the age of 14, 15 and thereabout. So I see now the market being much more wider open. We can go much more deeper because uh, all these programs are a lot more uh, price efficient. And also we can go a lot more wider. With logistics of travel, expanding different countries always had a challenge as to how you're going to ensure safety. Having said that, that complete issues addressed and now we can go wider in the region, in India, in Southeast Asia, which is what we're focusing. How can we get our arrangement programs across emerging markets? And that's the uh, refined uh, goal going forward. I think it's a very good point you picked up that customers don't really want to pay for the online courses and the thing is that we don't we don't we are very rationalized in that way and as humans we tend to think that if our if our kid or the kid themselves also think that if we go to university and we pay 20,000 bucks for zoom classes that is justified but uh, if if I'm doing a course which is again on the zoom uh, platform and I pay thousand hundred dollars for it or a thousand dollars for it that is not justified suddenly. Uh, that may be a better course than your university, but then it's still not justified. Uh, I think sadly, that's just the mentality part. And that's what the whole ed tech space is facing on with right now. Uh, pretty pretty much like really big players as well. So I think I think that's... Yeah. You're absolutely spot on. And I think it's our, the way we are structured. I encouraged Advait to undertake that program and Advait can speak how he found that experience. Having said that, I think upskilling is a constant requirement which is required at all stages. So you and I need required upskilling at our level and that's exactly the student is required. And we all struggle as to why we should be spending those many dollars now that I'm already acquired fair amount of knowledge or skill set. I think the unfortunate part which we as a society is not embracing is that a lot of skill sets which have been acquired already may or may not necessarily be relevant for current times or times to come forward. So you're upskilling largely for a future environment which is rapidly changing. And the human mind or the historical education system has not 
got a constant change into our thought process, into our framework that we need to constantly upskilling. There may be a time we may need to upskill every year. And I don't think we're too far from it. But we were never trained like that. We just trained that we should do good schooling. We should go to a good college. And then we're all set for our lives. Which is not going to hold good in times to come. And the sooner we embrace, the better it is. And, and that is why another way to think through is people are with seeing so much of losses of jobs. This losses of jobs is not, not happening because there's not enough jobs being created. It's largely happening because there's not enough skilled people for those jobs. All the biggest tech companies on the planet are struggling to fill all the positions and there are a lot of open positions. At the same time, there are a lot of people who are unemployed in the same markets. So the largely the disconnect is that skill sets are not being met. It's not that the opportunity is not there. And that's what we need to as a society address. I think that's a very good point. I think Tarun, I think uh, I also told you this in person a couple of days back and uh, it there's, there's actually a website which tells you how many, um, how many, which job is going to get, uh, is going to, is going to be automated by how much percentage. And if you put accountant on it, it's about 94%, a whooping 94%. And sadly I have friends who are doing accounting and they're 22 now. Uh, and I have actually suggested them like, can you please move from this industry because it's going to be obsolete in 10 years and you're going to like, then what do you do? Because you've spent 10, 15 years doing it. You're comfortable now. Then it's a, it's, it's a major change and hurts. I, th- I think that's when it really hurts a lot. No, absolutely. And I think we are, uh, education as an industry has significant more legacy challenges which we are facing. As a parent, all of us uh, studied in a certain framework and format and we want our students, our children also to do in the same format. And the current e- ecosystem of education landscape is pretty much mirroring how it was even 20, 30 years back. The unfortunate part is we've not embraced uh, the rapid change with the industry is undertaken. I give this example, I think every other day, my dad had a very simple view that either you can pursue physics, chemistry, maths, or you can take biology alternately because you could either become an engineer or a doctor. I didn't think too hard about it. I thought, okay, fine, let me just pursue engineering. I just prefer maths over biology. He managed to ensure or with a lot of force. And I said, okay, fine, let me just find a way to get into a good engineering college, which is I got it. And then I eventually got into a MBA. And I, to some extent, probably love played a role. I got into General Electric that time. And in the year 2000, G was the number one fortune company on the planet. So as a parent, my dad could take a lot of immense satisfaction by checking all the boxes. But now as a parent, can I do that? Because I have to take a view that my son is going to be out of school in 2029, and then he's going to be out of college in 2034. But what jobs or what specific skill sets should I be preparing him for? And like you said, quite a few jobs which we see around will not exist that time. But are we ensuring that the learning mechanism or the skill set which we are preparing him are actually changing simultaneously? The answer is no. Which essentially lends to the point that come 10-15 years later, he'll still be continuing to learning new skills because he may not find his skill set relevant at that point of time. The only way it can change is if we address it now. But then we are fighting a legacy 
battle in terms of how the current education landscape looks like i think it will be very interesting to get your point of view on this advait like uh what, what like do you agree with tadan completely or do you have something to add on it like because i completely agree to it because i i somewhere lie right in the middle so i was when i was there when my parents didn't force me to do anything but my parents were like okay do whatever you love and at the mm-hmm. age of 17 i'm like i don't know what i love right and i just picked up whatever whatever fetch which whatever i thought would fetch fetch me a lot of money but then i realized is is happiness success money the same thing no it's not it's really not all three are completely different things they might be complementary in some way but they're, they're they're different things so i think your point of view would be uh super nice to see what do you think uh no i completely agree with whatever tarun sir said i completely agree like um uh, uh come back to the parents forcing part i if you're doing something you have to be passionate about it or you have to love it to some extent anything you do like for example even if even if it's a sport you have to you have to love it so that you can devote as much time as you can but um like ah uh, um no no frame this but uh, uh again i'm just going to keep it very simple like whatever you're doing in the future just absolutely as sahil you mentioned as well uh you have to love it and you have to devote as much time to it cuz again you don't you have to provide for your family you have to provide for yourself as well and coming back to the job scene in like 10 to 15 years we really don't know what's go- we're probably going to have robots serving us burgers i don't know there's going to be there's probably going to be no jobs left for us you probably everyone will probably be forced to become an entrepreneur which is a good thing for everyone but um, i don't know if everyone can be successful out of that so again try moving into career paths that would actually have a like a long lasting effect and can actually you can actually see it surviving for a good 15 20 years as well i think there's a, there's there's also a like obviously we are we talking about the tech world we're talking about how data is a big thing now uh, how uh, all these social media platforms are a big thing uh but we also don't know what's going to happen in the future with them because currently they are not they are not immensely regulated and there there have been a lot of talks uh mark zuckerberg pretty much just sits in that um uh in court cases uh has been there a lot of times and that's the issue right now right like the companies are leveraging this and they're becoming dirty day by day and they're just trying to get as much as information they want and like make money out of it and there's no regulation it's 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 astonishing but now people people are understanding data privacy people are understanding all these things and now recently i think whatsapp came up with this feature that we'll share our we'll share our information on facebook and that was like another big issue altogether going on on twitter uh so i think even the tech world is sort of somewhere uh, uh on like on like some some kind of uh, minefield because tomorrow if you start limiting the amount of data you want to capture from a from a person how is that going to be uh let me let me take one more example uh which i think will be will be really uh, fascinating for you guys so spotify came up with this solution that uh now that let's say we all in the party and we all are talking they would pick up the words from what we are talking and they would give us a suggested playlist so imagine after two uh, uh, like after two when everybody sloshed at a party they're talking hey uh, i i would like to like listen to r&b or they would be talking about some artist spotify is li- literally recording all those keywords taking in all that data and they're suggesting your playlist right then and there so if you think about it it's very efficient like at a party if i get that playlist i would be like wow that's amazing yeah uh but can you imagine the amount of data they're taking from you in exactly, all exactly yeah. right it's it's insane so uh, i yeah. think i must add i think the technology tech industry 
social media is at a big inflection point there is going to be a significant amount of regulation coming in uh, because i think there's a clear understanding now that there is too much of infringement of personal data and i think it's getting beyond in good health one second Sorry, my son just got in, so he, uh, he just got back from school. I think it's. So, well. I think that's the new norm, right? Like you're in a meeting mm -hmm. and suddenly there's dog barking mm -hmm. to, yes. for the pet owners. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the dog's still not around. Yeah, otherwise you would have heard him also. <laughs> He's still on his way. But yeah, I think this is a new lifestyle where you have someone other always keep popping in. But I think it's not bad. I think you're getting to see more of your family, which was not happening earlier. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a big. Mm -hmm. again a public positive but coming back yes there is clearly needs to be a massive breakdown and data privacy needs to be addressed and i think there is conscious understanding now even at the leadership of all these tech companies that this is not uh, cannot sustain in the current level and i think the general there's general nervousness ness is around how is this going to really pan out or what level of regulation is required which actually benefits and creates the right elements of what can be shared or not shared and how do you execute that yeah but there's a lot of uh, research being done and there's some very interesting ideas throwing being thrown around uh in terms of how facebook needs to be broken down and other things which will lend to some of these things going forward yeah uh coming to social media i think there are like Actively, there are companies that are trying to debug all this, uh, like privacy invasions, all that. So I think that's good. But for me personally, I generally think social media is the way to go right now. Like I have friends who are thirteen to fourteen years old who have companies approaching them saying, "Can you please promote our products?" You know, for every, um, I mean, you have loyalty charges for every product we sell. We pay you a certain amount of money. We have discount codes for you. And they're thirteen to fourteen years old, and all they do is like either dance to a video. Like that's what I'm saying. So social media, if if you can, I mean, it's all about right timing and right place. So if you can build up a following really quick, or you're you're completely different from everyone else, you can literally start making money at the age of fourteen. I literally have friends who are sponsored by clothing brands, and they're thirteen to fourteen years old. Uh, and thanks to thanks to TikTok, we are we are we are sitting on uh, data like that. But mm -hmm. like, uh, I think when we're talking about internet age and when we're talking about all this TikTokers and YouTubers coming up, I think this is very very relevant to you, Advait. And I think I'm gonna like. Uh, bring this question to you do you do you see yourself in short term or long term doing stuff like drop shipping sneaker flipping uh running an agency which is like i think these three or four things are so so common between young people right now they all want to either become a tiktoker or the, or, or, or the youtuber uh, or they want to have a shopify store uh, and start drop shipping from uh, from from sellers and then find buyers on the website and what not mm. So, do you think you see yourself doing something like that in in like short term or long term? Yeah. So, drop shipping is like a very it's a it's so common. That's like the main that's that's the main way you can make income at a very young age, and it's completely legal, right? Because all you're doing is buying something and then selling it again. Um. But for me, I I don't know if that's something I get into right now. Because again, it's very time consuming. You have to look at you literally have to go through websites. You have to scale out websites, find a good price, and then sell it in bulk. Or you have to have a certain amount of money with you like readily that you can buy in bulk and then sell at a higher price um 
And then same with like sneaker selling or sneaker reselling as well. I have uh, there's a tenth grader in my school who is actively doing this, and he's I mean last week he published that he's already made six thousand dirhams through just sneaker reselling, and it's only been two months. But I feel like again sneak sneaker reselling something I wouldn't get into because I'm not a sneakerhead myself. I, I have no clue. I know nothing about shoes, and I feel like I've just been depriving sneakerheads of a great opportunity. Um, but something I'd be really willing to get into, as I said before, it's like TikTok or YouTube. Like I know I really want to go into this entrepreneurship career, but TikTok or YouTube would be something that I see. Like you saw, I have my own podcast. And it's just so. I mean, I know there's like a lot of hard work that's put behind the scenes, editing, uh, publishing it out, and getting um, you know, getting the vetted content. But it's just so fun to just make that content, you know. Especially when you're with the right people and you're doing it. If you love it and you have a passion for it, like I know for a fact, Sal, you can agree. This podcast, you have fun recording this podcast, right? Yeah, I think. Yeah. I think, I think it's, even if it's not just for the podcast, me and Tarun just talk. uh during uh, so so like just to give context to our listeners that i work with tarun uh i work at the explorers lab so we just like when we have a meeting or something in the evening we just talk for like 15 minutes about the most random things <laughs> and then and then we'll kick off the work then we'll kick off work and then we start working like doing some actual work those are the most educative sessions for me because i learn a lot which i'm not necessarily seeing or tracking like a message in the morning i, I think the first i think the first uh, uh, thing uh, uh, you told me was uh, what is i think i pitched you when i was when, I, when we were talking about the interview and stuff for the explorers and i pitched him um, ideas which which had the word dropshipping sneaker flipping and all of these and that was like what is that like <laughs> what is dropshipping <laughs> uh, so um. Yeah, but like um, that's what I'm saying. I'd rather get into something like YouTube or TikTok at this age, because I just know it'll be fun. And again, doing something like TikTok or YouTube, yeah, you get you get to work on skills like editing, video editing, then how to promote stories, getting people to work with you, and just all it's basically like an entrepreneurship journey. You're starting it by yourself and you're growing by yourself as well. So yeah, that's something I'd really be. I'd I'd rather be look looking forward to joining that than like dropshipping or reselling. But I'd be. I I'm completely open to the idea. That's cool. Uh just building up on that like so do you do you think investing your time uh I mean I think I think the answer would be yes because obviously you're doing it right now. Uh but when it comes to like maybe your friends who are pretty much not doing it and they're still like focused on getting good grades in high school, in school do you think they should maybe invest some part of their time into this rather than only focusing on the education and getting the the best of grades? uh because i mean it's pretty much linked to the conversation we have been having by far yeah uh, 100% i mean i've already talked to sahil about this personally i don't think the academic system really i mean some subjects do teach you a lot but they don't they don't kind of prepare you for the future right like knowing how many wives akbar had does not prepare you for the future and um so like uh i i would totally advise anyone my age or anyone older yes yeah, sahil i and i think we are all on the same page in terms of how education needs system needs to have a massive reform but yeah. i must say history has a big role to play i was just going to say that i was just going to say that <laughs> and uh, there is lot we can take away from history and a lot of things a get repeated and we get some perspective but i think there's lot to take away and in fact i have had some very enriching discussions with students from your school on this subject and oh. some of our programs so i i get your point so this does not sound relevant in that context 
and you being measured on that and constantly being examined on that sounds quite archaic. Having said that, I think uh, there is merit on all these things to be there, but maybe at a completely different context in terms of how you should yeah. be embracing them. Yeah. But exactly. sorry, carry on. <laughs> oh, no, I'll reframe my sentence. So I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to neglect the awkward wife's part. I'm going to say <laughs> random subjects. <laughs> uh, I feel like, um, yeah, as I was saying, the education systems like just doesn't, I mean, I'm not going to say it doesn't teach you anything, but it doesn't progress you or prepare you for the future. But at the same time, it is important. It is the reality. You know, your marks are what determine, I mean, do determine which college you're going to get into. I mean, that's the first thing everyone looks at, which is very bad because it doesn't determine if you're intelligent or not. But it's the reality of it. Um, but I know as the society is progressing and colleges are looking more into extracurricular activities, so are like companies as well when they're offering you jobs. And just sitting at home, uh, staring in a book for like three hours isn't going to get you anywhere, right? It's going to get you far in school. Your teachers might like you, but after you're done with school, no one's going to look at you, right? So anyone who's my age or anyone older than me or younger than me, I, 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 I'm going to say this, I've already repeated it so many times. Find something you're super passionate about. Find something that you love doing and you thoroughly enjoy doing. And then invest as much time as you can onto the, I mean, into doing that while simultaneously, well, you know, studying for a year and there and getting your grades to the standard that you've already built. Yeah. I think it's really fascinating you brought this point up and my my take on it is very simple that how can uh, how can you pressurize somebody uh, and we all are we all are pretty different in our own ways, right? How can you how can you measure hundred people by giving one set exam, right? And by having one specific date uh, and clamping six months of material and being like, okay, this is going to decide your future now. Go. And you're just like, wait. Like, if you think about it, it really doesn't make sense. And if, if, if you're in the 12th grade, that's once a year, not even once in six months. So how can that piece of paper really decide your future? But uh, but again, like, especially universities uh, abroad or even in Dubai who have like an American or the British curriculum, they really, really care about what your SOP is like. They really care about what you have done. Uh, your grades may not matter as much. They can neglect that part if it's like a little bit less because they'll be like, yeah, okay, cool. That doesn't matter because this guy is, he's been spending time somewhere else to sacrifice the grades and it really adds up. Mm -hmm. So I think that that really matters. On the history point, I would bring up this really interesting fact, which I went through recently. Now there's this book called Sapiens and, and I've been reading it. Like I've been astonished by the fact how humans have evolved. And, uh, and that's the reason why I've become like, because I was completely like you other way, like how would history help me out? And this is one thing which I read. Now, this is before the Gita was written or before the, uh, all these uh, religious books were written. We started writing just one thing, which was data, because it was so important for this. Uh, and we weren't even writing, we were measuring it in, in different, with different, different tools, or we were writing in a very weird manner on like rocks and stuff. Uh, and to, to make sure that we are collecting taxes at the right time, to make sure we are collecting all these issues which kingdoms have. And till then, all our books, like the spiritual books, are were spread out orally. So people used to tell it to each other from generations to generations was passed. And then we figure out the whole uh, writing language. So it was called half written language, something like that, where only data was calculated and that was it. We were writing just for that. Otherwise, we didn't need writing. Uh, then we were like, okay, we need to like figure out a writing process because what will people do 
creatively how will how will we track other things and that's where the fully fledged language came into the picture and that's when we have been evolving since then so it's very interesting to know that data was the first thing we recorded and if you see today all tech companies are going behind the same thing <laughs> they're just looking for one thing which is data so it's very fascinating so yes history does repeat itself so he's going to focus and ensure he doesn't forget the names of all the wives <laughs> yeah i'll try my best i'll try my best to be fair the, uh, to be uh, to be fair the wife thing doesn't help so <laughs> you yeah, exactly. were right on the wife thing <laughs> okay no mo- moving on moving on a bit uh and i think uh tanun this also like kind of implements a question towards your end like let's say somebody somebody like me or adwait has got an idea we think we are ready to uh, activate this idea and like we think that in my in my perception i think i have a way less risk involved right now and i don't have to give a lot of time to people around me because everyone is self sustained we are we are okay health wise and everything uh so do you think we should start early or do you think we should kind of wait and see that yeah let me gain some experience let me gain some uh exposure in the market and then jump into a career of entrepreneurship uh experience does help because you're doing it someone else's expense but needs to be at the right place and in the right form and shape so uh okay let me just step back i think there is no fixed recipe we'll have success cases of people starting very early we have a lot of success cases people doing subsequently however if i were to re- recommend i would recommend uh both of you to definitely spend some time in the industry in areas industries and areas which are of interest to you and get some more perspective at someone else's expense but doing organizations which are very young which are uh testing a lot of different ideas working through a lot of things so that it a continues to challenge you b you get a perspective in terms of how you can go about doing it also it will also give you some perspective of how what level of risk or discomfort startups undertake and is this a comfortable zone for you or not sometimes it may just be like i don't want to do be doing this all the time this is just too uncomfortable for me to do so you might as well uh, do it where you've done it someone else's uh, uh expense as opposed to doing on your own i would definitely recommend to gain experience it always helps having said that i won't say that you need to do too long in current times because i would say 2 to 4 years can be a strong period of time to get some relevant experience behind you also have some level of savings so you can push forward uh with your big idea i must also add one has to plan financially very well because clearly entrepreneurship has its ups and downs and one should think through how you're going to financially plan that journey out that's that's really interesting that's uh really fascinating and that's i think that's one of the reasons why i also think that i should start <clears throat> personally i think i should start young because i don't have financial constraints and i can uh i can i can do live on like daddy's money as people say uh for some parts of it uh and even though some people are, like ashamed of it like oh you know i'm privileged i'm just like okay if you're privileged use it in your <laughs> favor why are you using it in your favor yeah. absolutely to the time you can do it exactly. definitely do that so uh, and i also say yes yeah. you should definitely don't delay it 
you should definitely get into it before you start having bigger responsibilities of marriage, kids, mortgages, etc. So definitely, if you can get that point before that, it'll always help in life. Uh, one more thing which I would like to pick up. Uh, I think it'll be with you, uh, Tadun, and Advait. Your view also would be uh, actually pretty pretty good over here because you would uh, you would understand this that entrepreneurship is glorified a lot now. Like Tadun, like when you were young, I think people were not even talking about it. Especially in India, people be like, "What? Like seriously, we want to run your own business?" Uh, when I was in like tenth grade, again, we was we were at the same pretty much. phase at that time um, i don't think uh, all these big names were there like your flipkart and all one there uh, in i think flipkart broke out in 2014 15 when i went to university it became like little bit of thing and today everybody is doing it everybody wants to do something and every third person is calling themselves entrepreneur even though they are not do you think that is a good thing in some way that it's promoting the uh, industry as a whole or do you think it's just It's just really bad because it's creating some bogusness around money, and that this thing fetches a lot of money, and that's why young people are getting into it. Correct. I think yes, there is a lot of euphoria, uh, and like you said, there is a glamour element, and I think the young generation gets a feel that they could do this very early, uh, get few million, if not few billion dollars, up their sleeve very quickly, and then move forward. and they don't need to necessarily have the traditional uh life which most of the people they've seen uh their parents and everyone else uh undertake and i think that's a very very wrong reason to get into entrepreneurship and chances of success are even more remote then because your goals are not necessarily well established or you're not doing something which you're very passionate about if you were to see most organizations which have survived through all the ups and downs are largely where people have been completely behind it and are very passionate with the idea and gone through significant amount of ups and downs with it and that can only happen if you completely believe in what you are doing and you are going to withstand that i recently in fact got through a podcast with co-founder of netflix and it was phenomenal to hear his journey in terms of what they went through now we can all see the success of that but uh, they were called in by jeff bezos to sell the business very very early and uh, though it was tempting at that point of time because they were struggling and there was no mechanism to raise cash but they just were passionate and they said our what we believe in or what we want to do is going to completely get killed and they stuck to it so uh, we need to ensure that we are aligned on our passion interest and commitment before we take uh this journey because it's going to be very challenging to say the least uh, i i think this it's well documented also right i think adwait you must have come across a lot of people uh either in person or in tick on tiktok if you are on it that uh it's it's been glorified a lot right every yeah. third tiktok i have seen is about drop shipping or something but people don't really understand that even as a dropshipper you can fail it's not a it's not a mm. 100% success guaranteed method yeah uh, sorry yeah. i would also bef- uh, before we chimes in i would also say we should not mix entrepreneurship with making money you could definitely make money in variety of different ways but that does not necessarily mean you're actually going to create a product or a proposition or address a big uh, need of the society but you could still be making a lot of money and uh, uh, take care of all your financial needs yeah 
uh, I feel like like the generation I'm part of, uh, the people, the stories they hear, like right now, there's only one name that's coming out of everyone's mouth, and that's Elon Musk, Elon Musk, Tesla, everything that Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos do, just because they have the, just because they're richest men in the world, I think that's the one name that's going, that's circulating to everyone's head. And the problem with that is everyone sees the pros of their life, right? Elon Musk, Star Tesla has an output of 180 million. That's it. That's all they see. They don't venture out into how we started, how we failed at first, how we failed again, how we failed thrice, and now how he's gone there, right? So as Tarun sir right, uh, rightfully mentioned, he mentioned uh, everyone thinks entrepreneurship is just making money, which it isn't, right? A normal job can make you money as well. Anything like even selling lemonade, people think that's entrepreneurship. It's not. It's just a social community, a service that you're doing, and you're making money out of that. Um, but yeah, Everyone part of my generation doesn't seem to kind of cap. And I'll be honest, I was like this as well. When I first started starting a business, I was like, okay, I should tell my dad, like, by the time I'm 24, I'm going to start a business. By the time I'm 25, I'm going to be a millionaire. Because I thought it was that easy, right? I thought there was no legal process behind it. I thought you, I thought you could just take a loan out of nowhere, like just go to a bank, ask for a loan, they'll give it to you like that. And um, and I forgot the importance of having a brilliant idea and having the well, presence of investors in front of you to invest in your product or your initiatives. And I think that's the mindset that everyone's into right now. Yeah. Okay, that, that, that's glad to hear that Advait understands all this at his prime age. I think, I think, uh, I think, yeah, exactly. It's very, very astonishing to see somebody in ninth grade talking like this, honestly. But, uh, but when I, when I was like thinking about it also, my whole ideology was, okay, money's going to come. I can figure it out. I was more aware because I was like sort of graduating college. Uh, and I was like, okay, I can figure out the money part. But then the issue was, uh, how do you go on with things? Right. And again, I was, I was thinking, I was thinking on the aspect that if Elon Musk can make hundred, $150, but I mean, $150 billion or whatever, why can't I do it? Right. Let me also try. Let me also take a crack at it. And the whole motive was money, but then I realized it's more about an issue and a problem. And the moment the problem is with you, it's even more stronger. If it's something which comes in, like it comes in your personal life, and it's like it's really bugging you, it's it's something which is like a then then it's something which you will be passionate about because you want to solve that problem. You want to be a part of it. So I think it's very important to. F- to find out a problem and then figure out a solution behind it. But yeah, I think that takes me to the next thing, which is, uh, which is, which is your platform, um, Advait, which is mentorship. But I'm not, I, I wanted to talk more about who are your mentors. So like, Tan, you must be having mentors, Advait, who, who are like your mentors uh, going forward with this thing. Uh, I think, uh, as I mentioned before as well, everyone around me is a mentor, right? I mean, I, they probably didn't like help me with the mentorship site, but they probably helped me in, well, framing my mindset or developing the person I am right now. But when it comes to the mentorship platform, the very first person that comes to mind is my dad, because he was the one who, well, first kind of told me how it works. He, told, he introduced me to entrepreneurship, essentially, and he introduced me to how to start and frame products. Then second, a huge thank you to the Explorers Lab. Literally, oh, the amount of... The amount of learning I learned through that just one course with Cam Bismarck was insane. Like working, uh, waking up at a, waking up at seven. I, I used to be excited to wake up at seven and just join that Zoom call and just see multiple entrepreneurs come in, uh, share their uh, well, whatever their life story, how to pitch in a product. And I, I had such a wonderful team with me as well. Uh, thirdly, Tarun sir, obviously, 
Uh, he, I mean, and there's nothing much to say. He's been he's been imparting knowledge throughout this entire conversation as well. Uh, Tarun sir has helped me so much with this entire mentorship platform. He takes time out of his Fridays to sit with me because we're also planning and developing a mentorship platform as well. Uh, us two together with a tenth grader in our school. And uh, fourthly, I want to. I mean, all my teachers, the two supervisors that I work with, or the two supervisors I pitched the idea to, they've been even with the podcast, I pitched the idea to both of them, and they. They don't fear to criticize you when it's needed. You know, a lot of teachers try sugarcoating things, and um, I, I I never really like that. I know I don't like people who sugarcoat stuff. Like, but these people, uh, my supervisors will tell you right to your face. Like, if it's not good, I'm disappointed. Work on it, b- make it better, like that. And same with the website. When I first pitched the website, it looked so bad. Like it wasn't. It was basically just like a like a registration site. You is a one page registration site. That's it. And they were like, what is this? You can't be doing this. So uh, um, they understood the initiative, they understood the pitch, and they were willing to well, take it to our principal and ask her for funding. Uh, so after that, she uh, gave us the go-ahead, and I got funded about 700 rooms. I used that 700 rooms. I built a website with Johan again. And um, yeah, after that, they were like, OK, this is perfect. And now we're just waiting for uh, all the mentors to get ready, finish their exams, and then we can kick off the entire side. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Tarun, uh, I think next question which I would ask is you, and uh, it builds up on uh, Advait's uh, proposition of going to the school and asking for money because that's how it works in in his kind of platform. But in in like, let's say if you're building a business for, like for, for everybody, like Explorers is, how do you how do you suggest uh, young people like us to go and find mentors or investors? And get like and like sell people the idea of what you're trying to do because I think that's one of the biggest challenges which which are in my head because I haven't done it yet, and it's something like how 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 do I approach to somebody and be like give me your money right like how how does that work how what what really is the relationship like? Good question, and I must say that had you asked this to me five years back, I may have given a very different answer to what I would give you now, given that I've gone through this journey. Of, with fair amount of pain. First is, and when I was growing up, no one told me this, and it was not important, is to have good mentors. But I would recommend to both of you strongly go out and seek uh, a mentor or maybe multi, more than one mentor also who are going to help you and guide you on multiple fronts. And I think that's required, A, to build your personality, B, how are you going to address some of your prof- challenges you fa- face professionally, not necessarily related to entrepreneurship, or it could be other personal challenges also. But it's very important to have that facet who is going to help you guide uh, in a manner which is which is going to be very constructive uh, for your development because it's not very easy to take uh, critical feedback, but a mentor could go do that. Also, he or she could tell you certain things which you may not embrace very well unless you it comes through someone whom you trust. Now, in my case, I did not think there was a need to mentor or no one told me when I was young at your age, but I got into a job. The good thing is in my organization, I did have mentors and I started seeing the benefit of having a mentor, though they were largely for professional uh, purposes for that sphere of job I am in. Having said that, not that I stopped in, uh, or according to entrepreneurship, 
I felt the need of it even higher. And, but having said that, at the age I'm, I got into entrepreneurship, which is close to 40, identifying mentors is not necessarily the easiest thing. So to, so what I did is, I thought I require development in multiple different facets. And I need to potentially have someone help me develop in each of these areas. And I don't know if I'll have someone who would potentially can help me in all these areas. So I looked around my ecosystem, how I can potentially have a mentor in A area who's going to help me or in B area or C area. So right now, if you ask me, if I'm struggling with a specific area, I know who might exactly I'm going to call, who's going to help me or potentially tell me what all potential things I could do to help me out on that. I must also tell you, uh, and I got this through accidentally on podcasts. I am quote unquote getting indirect mentorship now on certain areas by people who have done very well or excelled in some of the areas uh, by what they have done. Now, those people are not necessarily accessible to me and cannot do direct mentorship, but I think there is a great amount of learning which I can take, which is available, which one can build on. So, and I think both are helpful because the areas of development are quite big and vast and uh, each of them need to be uh, addressed. I could just tell you a simple thing. We don't necessarily focus so much on our mental well-being, on our physical well-being, besides other things. And those are a very strong ingredient in terms of how you're going to work. So you need to find a way how you're going to address these fundamental things and who's going to help you and coach you on that so that your output as a professional, as a individual is at the most optimal level. And it does require to come out with someone who has some level of expertise, who can communicate to you, which you can believe in, and he can demonstrate to you why you should be investing time, energy, and resources behind doing ABC set of activities. I don't know if it made sense to you, and it may sound very onerous, but it is very important to uh, engage and seek mentorship. Very different from raising capital, and I've not answered that. But I don't know if you have any thoughts on mentorship before you get to that. No, I think I think I be, I, I I agree with you. I think the journey I'm on right right now. I'm also I also realized getting mentors is a very important thing, and I realized it pretty late. Uh, and that's why I've been making mistakes, and I just like I don't know where to go after that. Um, and that's why the journey of finding the right people and reaching out to them is like my my way of saying that hey can we like at least have a chat and see how it works out uh obviously by by the means the research i have done for you um i think you're the good fit but i mean let's have a chat and let's see how it works out so i think that's my my way of finding mentors and like figuring out who's the right fit and giving them something giving them a piece of it also because they will be spending quite a bit of time on this and it's like a long-term relationship so yeah Absolutely. In terms of capital raise, I will divide that into three baskets. A, firstly, you have to think whether your business actually requires capital. There are quite a few businesses, especially in the new age, may not require any material capital, at least in early stages, till you hit a certain point where the scalability is tremendous and you feel the need of doing it. So it's very important to establish a whether capital is required to start with. I think because of a fad, I think everyone just starts thinking that 
the moment he's starting a business, he should just go and raise capital and solve a lot of problems otherwise. I must say that capital raising is an easier thing as opposed to what happens after that. Because the moment you have capital and you have certain expectations established around the business and you are to some extent answerable to those stakeholders, which to a large extent is a compromise on your entrepreneurship. I don't know if you both have watched Steve Jobs' movie on Apple and how he went through and at some point he was justifying his entire business idea around the product proposition to his board and they were not buying into it. And they just threw him out of the company. So very important to make the distinction. B, having said that if there's a clear established need of capital, then yes, you should try and do that very early because that's also a good test of how good your business idea or product proposition is because it validates that. So I think that is a fantastic thing for me more than the capital per se, because that validation is very important. You get a validation from a customer, but it's also important to get a validation because that means the proposition has legs for it to grow to a certain level. Once that is done, the third basket is yes. I think that that part is very well documented. You go to angel investors, angel investors typically are your uh, close by ecosystem, which is your friends, family, uh, easy to do. They're the least critical about you, will anyway support you. Once you've done an angel round, then and you can hit certain milestones, then you go to the VC round and start your series ABC. But again, that's in once your base foundation is well set, those parts are very well structured and they'll always lead, almost lead one to the other. Having said that, one has to be very mindful in terms of why you're raising capital, how much you're raising, because it creates enough amount of challenges after that also, because it does not, is not solving the problem. Solving the problem is how you actually deliver a proposition and make money. It's just a means to an end. Having said that, a lot of times we just think raising capital as big milestones, which may not necessarily be the right way to approach uh, when you think about entrepreneurship. I think sadly, again, the point comes back that money is uh, money is the king, right? Like everybody wants to talk about the money. <laughs> everybody wants to be like, okay, how much money is he raising? What's happening there? And that is why the failure rate on businesses is very high. And come to think about it, if you go back 20, 30 years back, it was not there because people were not addressing raising capital as an issue. Nowadays, a lot of businesses just would kick off because there's not enough capital raised. But if it's a good idea and it has legs, it does not should not require too much capital. And or if it's such a fantastic idea and you're creating the next WhatsApp, then there will be uh, there should be a queue of uh, the most sophisticated capital around you. And again, this is well documented. So organizations like Google could raise capital very easily or could hit institutional capital because people could see the opportunity very well and there was an immense market opportunity around it. But that may not be true for large set of businesses because that opportunity may or may not necessarily exist. If that does not exist, then how much capital do you need or do you really need capital? Okay, so I'm just going to jump off really quick to this last segment. Um, I'm sorry, before yeah. you get there, you may have to have mentorship just on capital raise or how you should be approaching that. Very, very um, 
relevant area and you may don't you may not want to make the same mistakes what i would say 90% of entrepreneurs make mm-hmm. i also just adding one thing to it i also heard that sometimes your mentor can be your investor right so your mentor can be so much involved into it and like really like the idea that they could become your investors yes in fact if you had a good mentor you'd say okay let me just go and try and convince him and he could put the seed capital fantastic he may not completely solve your capital but at least give you seed capital but again yes that's a fantastic thing because you've got a fantastic validation on your proposition nothing wrong with doing that and you that should be your uh, first go to point Okay, I think the next thing is the last section which I wanted to cover um, is getting the right employees. Uh, I think uh, I'm not sure uh, Advait must have faced it in a very small level of finding the right friends to do it with. But uh, obviously, when you're at school, uh, it's very easy to like find the right people because you're around your age people and like you think very alike. Uh, but I think Tarun, this is a very, very uh, big issue which I have come across because I never because I don't have the money to pay employees, so I always tell them, "Do you want to work with work on ESOP basis, right?" And then we can see how it works out. Uh, and it generally doesn't work out pretty well because, again, as money is not involved, people and I'm speaking very, very much in a uh, in a UAE perspective. Maybe I'm not, uh, maybe I'm not uh, exposed to the right people. but what is your take on esops uh, and salaries and how do you basically find the right people to work for less less money because let's face it startups don't pay you that much startups is all about uh, it's all about the drive and learning something great uh, so what what's your take on that and how to find the right employees with the most minimal amount of salaries never easy and you're right on all the points uh, startups always struggle to pay or compete on compensation with more established firms have you said i think you asked uh, two or maybe three different threads a what sort of people you should be getting a very important aspect from a startup standpoint you need people who are very entrepreneurial nature because there is just too much uh, flexibility required and people who've come from work environment which are very very boxed may struggle a lot because they're just not used to an ecosystem where they need to jump around between different areas so very important having said that you don't need everyone also to be with that mindset and this was again my learning my initial expectation was why is every individual not entrepreneurial but every individual may not be required because some people who are supposed to do specific job should do their jobs well and of course you need to remunerate them appropriately but you need to find through how you're going to find a good mix of people and there's a very good article written by Harvard on this as to how you define who are going to be people who are going to play a role at a strategic level who will be your co-founders and what will be the role of people who are potentially going to play a different set of role and that may be more tactical in nature but not everyone needs to be a entrepreneurial or have a similar mindset as what you're having be giving multiple people esops or doing it again not a good strategy you need to hire people and pay them appropriately the reason because everyone will not hold the same passion so by design will not go through the journey with you now yes capital required capital is required and then the question comes either the business has to pay for it or you have to have a capital raise but separate matter whether your business generates capital or you raise capital but you need to find a way how you're going to 
still pay some reasonable remuneration to your team i get your point that very hard to benchmark on compensation having said that a big plus of startups is they can give jobs uh, which may be far more intellectually challenging than more established companies can do and to a large extent which is what people are seeking like two of you on this podcast both of you want to be entrepreneurs chances are me selling selling a job proposition in explorers lab may be far more convincing to you than a more established setup though i may say i'll just pay you 80 or 70 percentile of that organization because you say no my learning is going to be fantastic and i think this will lend me to my next big jump in my career so uh startups tend to play a lot and startups also create fantastic entrepreneurs so if you look at all good uh startups or companies that have grown from scratch they've also created fantastic uh, entrepreneurs so great learning ground from them so i think it's then again it comes to the point of how you should demonstrate leadership in this area so that you can attract a the right talent b motivate them and see ensure that they excel in that environment so that they can aid benefit the current organization and potentially give them the liberty to potentially expand beyond your organization so i think there was a, a infographic i saw some of the people who worked at kareem and how they've started and the number of entrepreneurs kareem has created and i think that's a fantastic uh, outcome because they not only created a supreme great proposition in the eu economy but also incubated multiple different set of ideas through their uh, core team and uh, that's what you expect a good startup to do but uh, how important uh, do you think like obviously you told me that uh, giving out bunch of esops to like all your employees but recently i saw this interview uh, of this entrepreneur in india uh, his name is ritesh malik and i have actually spoken to him as, as well like over the zoom call uh and sort of again believe in ideologies a lot and his ideology was that at least the 10 to 12 people in your company the first 10 to 12 people should be compensated with good decent amount of esops uh because if you're working 16 hours let's say uh let's face it they are also working 16 hours or or more you never know uh and they are also giving all their time and so and they believe and you have to make sure that they believe in your idea what you believe as well uh so it's very important to have like these three four characters that's what he said and then then money won't even be an issue because uh he said that in his company initially he gave a, a good chunk of esops to early employees and paid only a 24000 25000 something like that salary a month rupees and which is which isn't a lot in india uh that's something which fresh graduates get and he was probably working with somebody who's been in the industry for a while uh so do you do you believe in those ideologies do you think that is appropriate absolutely every startup tends to do that and all initial employees who look at strong contributors and are part of the initial team would inevitably get very strong esops i think the challenge comes through is if your organization is su- super successful fantastic they can see some milestones once vesting happens in terms of how much value they get but if those uh external rounds of capital don't happen then people don't see value in it and then essentially it doesn't necessarily hit the cord and they're not able to sustain the, from an entrepreneur standpoint if you're looking at and if you offer someone esops and it vests in 2 years and he quits a pretty poor outcome from your standpoint because that's not the end of the journey from your standpoint in fact may be very far 
from you making any uh, material exit, financial exit, but he or she may have exited still with the shares from the organization. So you need to do a long-term vesting, but the moment you do a long-term vesting, people should start seeing milestones. So I don't disagree. ESOP should be given. It's just that uh, not everyone will value it as much as you would like it to value. As an entrepreneur, you would want everyone to take 50 or 60 or 75% of the compensation in ESOPs. Great outcome. But if you are an established organization, like say an Amazon doing it, and they do that also a lot, it's a great outcome. It works very well. Otherwise, you need to build credibility and it may or may not necessarily work. So if a company is successful, yes, it will show work well. But nine out of 10 companies who are doing that may not working well because they're just not able to retain people for a longer period of time because they keep getting competing jobs. And you don't want to be in a position that you're too diluted with these individuals and who all exited at some part of time. So you have to just ensure that that balance is created and there are enough barriers that the vesting doesn't happen soon enough for uh, them to exit. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, I think the last thing which uh, I would like deep down into is something which, uh, again, our age people like my and other age people don't really face this problem. And it's, uh, it's about spending time with your family because we are still pretty young. Our parents are also like not so old. Uh, so we all can take care of, like we don't need to take care of each other. We are not codependent. But whereas you have your own family, you have, uh, we just heard your son on the podcast as well. So like, and as a father, obviously you want to spend time with your your, your, your child, right? And even uh, you want to spend time with your, or you want to have a weekend uh, dinner off with your family, with your wife or whatever. So I think that's something which entrepreneurs really miss out. I know Tarun, you personally work every day of the week. So how do you kind of manage the family life and the professional life balance? Like how do you make sure as an entrepreneur you have both? You're seeking a good work-life balance, don't do entrepreneurship. That's a simple answer <laughs> without getting into too much detail on it. <laughs> Having said that, uh, there's a method in the mad madness and it does not come easy, especially who's done a big transition from a corporate work environment to entrepreneurship. Uh, if you come to think about it, jobs are also fairly uh, uh, stretch these days in terms of time. So they, and they could be stretching long uh, to evenings every day and can be stretching on weekends also. And that also lends to you missing a significant part of time, which you could potentially spend with family. The way I think about it now is very differently. Your work and family has to coexist. There are key big work priorities and there are key big personal priorities. Just ensure that the top ones are both being addressed very well. Uh, to give an example, I just thought I don't necessarily spend, end up spending too much time with my son, but can I at least do one thing that I'll go and drop him every day? So I've continued to keep that till he's now almost close to 10 years and I ensure that whatever happens, I will do that. And I didn't see that hurting my business in any way at any part of time. On a given day, if it's conflicting with some big meeting, you always can find an escape. But I would invariably do that. I don't need to do that today, but I'm still doing it because it's just enjoyable and I think I should do it. So one has to identify what are the things what you would want to do and so you put some boundaries around it uh, and people around you also will start appreciating it. And 
what the good part of entrepreneurship is you can establish some of these rules very early in your day or at least uh, once your initial 2 3 4 years are behind you you can establish some norms around it but the important aspect is to first realize that what is exactly you want at a home front to be done and what are your big priorities in terms of engagement once that is established then it's not so hard to navigate but if that's not clear then we have a then you invariably have an issue you may not be able to do everything but if you can hit the i really like the book of 8020 principle i think it works very well whether it's work and home you have to get by doing 20% things right you get 80% things done and if you're getting those things sorted you're pretty much hitting a reasonably good balance it'll never be perfect and like i said if you're making a perfect balance then entrepreneurship definitely not the not your cup of tea I think that was all. Uh, sorry to dilute you a lot, Advait. It was the end, uh, <laughs> but uh, but I think I think we can that... now discuss some football. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like before before yeah. we end, there's one thing I always ask uh, every guest that, and I think again there'll be like a very different uh, options coming from both of you. That what is a recommended podcast or book from both of you? At least like give me like two at least. Someone's checking his oh. laptop now to figure out where. Yeah. I'm like, no, no. I'm like thinking which one uh, to uh, recommend. I have such a long list. Uh, yeah, I'm Adve- gonna be. Adve- you can go first. I'm gonna then. be honest. I don't read books. I I literally do not read books. I'm not really indulged in that. I don't know why. I I, I whenever I pick up a book and read it, though, it's very interesting. But podcasts. Um. Uh, you know. Um. I would recommend Logan Paul's podcast, The Impulsive Podcast, not only because it's really entertaining, um, but also because they have people who actually come in and give you life advice. Like Sadhguru has been on the podcast. You have Elon Musk has been on that podcast as well. Uh, so that's a very good podcast, very entertaining as well. Um, the other podcast would, uh, uh, which uh, I want to say mine, but it's just three kids having fun. So. <laughs> Uh, I think that's the best part, isn't it? <laughs> Having fun. Uh, if you want, if you want, uh, my podcast is nice. You can go and watch it on Instagram. I'm, but... I'm gonna, I'm gonna put the link in the description. So like, check out, check oh. out Advait's podcast as well. Hey, thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, other than that, you can watch anything really, anything. Just watch, just watch speeches. That's what I do. Just watch a number of motivational speeches. They're awesome. Yeah. I think I would like to add one small thing which I recently saw that books are overrated. And I agree, agree at a very, very high level. It's about content. It's not about the medium. It can be a book. Yeah. It can be a YouTube video. A book is made into a YouTube video. It's made into a podcast, everything. Recently, yeah. I think I suggested a book to Tal and I was like, why don't you listen to the podcast? It's the same thing. He said the exact mm. same thing. And like, why not? Like, it's it's content at the end of the day. What matters is what's inside it. It doesn't matter yeah. what form it True. is. But yeah, Tal, yeah. what are your suggestions? So I was going through my podcast library and if i had to pick which two which is very very hard but i'm going to pick the tim ferris show which i find super uh, enriching and the other one i would pick is remarkable people by guy kawasaki mm-hmm. so these are the two i okay there are quite a few of them i quite like masters of scale by reed hoffman a brilliant podcast and i pretty much hear all of these on a regular daily basis but yeah, these will be some of my top recommendations. Great, In, great. Yeah, sorry. Books? No books for me? I love books. Oh, yeah. Also. Go on. Yeah. Okay. So if you love <laughs> books, go ahead. Yes. 
and i could go again on a long list of books but because you're interested and excited about entrepreneurship and both of you i would recommend you to read two books one is 0 to 1 0 to 1 is written by peter thiel he's the ex co-founder of paypal i think a brilliant book i must say if i had read this before i'd started my journey i would have done a lot of things very differently in terms of my broad proposition the second one would be a measure what matters this is written by john doer he's the first investor in google and he talks about a framework called okr framework which he learned from his mentor andy groove at intel and i think more than the framework what i really liked about the book and that's i'm recommending it all of us strongly feel google landed a fantastic idea and became a billion dollar company and i think all of us fundamentally believe that right having said that there are lots of companies who entered that space and went wayside and these two young kids just made it very big because this company executed a lot of things very differently and if i were to believe it just boils down to how well you execute and they implemented this okr framework which and they got a smart ceo eric smith who ensured that uh, the organization delivers at what they essentially uh, envisioned their long term uh, goal or vision was so very interesting books there are a lot there's a longer list and i can share that with you but these are to be my top topics if you think about on entrepreneurship and the best part is now um every end of month and start of month we get um, we get a lot of messages from tarun <laughs> completely okay as mm-hmm. completely okay as <laughs> but i th- i think it's really important because i had never heard about okrs as well but apparently it's a big thing which a lot of startups uh, use to measure their performance and i think i i think i mentioned it to him as well the day he spoke about it i saw a tweet uh, on twitter about okrs and i watched the whole video just 15 minutes and then i was like okay yeah, it completely makes sense why you should do it and why it is important for an organization to really do this but thank you so much guys thank you so much for uh, giving your time and um, and yeah have a have a great day and thank you for giving time on your weekends thank you so much for having us it's a pleasure thank you so much it was super talking to you both thank you sail thank you adrey for taking out time and uh, brilliant getting getting to know your perspective on things similar things so a uh, very enriching experience super thank right. you sail all right great 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 thanks guys. thanks for having me guys Thank you for listening to this episode and I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to follow Advait's podcast GMA Live. It's in the description and also make sure to check connected.agency for any marketing solutions. Again, it's in the description. Thank you again and until next time. That's me Sahil signing off.